0: We do have a Bible study, so if you open up your Bibles, let's get right into our Bible study this morning. We're doing a verse-by-verse study in the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 3. We've gone as far as verse 18. That's where we're going to pick it up, and we're going to finish chapter 3 and then read the first verse of chapter 4 here this morning. Again, if you're visiting with us, we're blessed that you're here. Hopefully this week, I think uh, this week we're scheduled... Uh, to get some paint in the sanctuary, so it may look a little bit different next week when you come here and uh, and we 're just continuing to move forward and just fixing up and painting and, uh, the sanctuary uh, so new coat of paint coming this week. Colossians chapter three verse eighteen is where we 'll begin reading this. I said, I think a lot of you you know that in the church today there's a lot of books there's conferences that are offered, weekend retreats there's blogs there's YouTube videos, uh, teachings, all emphasizing the marriage, parenting, and the Christian home. And some of them are good. Some of them are very helpful, particularly when it comes from a Christian perspective. But there are also uh, a lot out there that is very worldly and is not of help. And uh, given the world's definition of marriage and how to be a parent and the family, redefining everything, that which is contrary to the Word of God... And we need to remember that in chapter 2 of this epistle that in Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we're told not to be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit, the traditions of men, and the basic principles of the world. We know that God instituted marriage. Clear back in Genesis chapter 2 when he brought Eve to Adam and said that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's the definition of marriage repeated by Jesus as the religious leaders came to Jesus in Matthew's gospel and asked him about marriage. And Jesus said, have you not read that in the beginning he made them male and female? And by the way, a little side note, because what I'm seeing more is an attack on the first 11 chapters of Genesis that is not inspired. It's just made up it's allegories. Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2. He believed in the creation account that he made them male and female and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus gives that definition of marriage and he said what God has put together let no man put asunder that is separate. So Jesus believed in the garden. He believed Genesis chapter 2 that he made them male and female and we also know that God instituted the family. And as he instituted the family, God knows how the family is to, to uh, function in a godly way. In other words, you and I as men and women of God, as wives, as husbands, as children, as bosses, as employees, we're going to be looking at God's word, what our roles and responsibilities are given to us, commissioned to us, and ordained by God For you and for me. So this is an important Bible study. And I pray that our hearts this morning are prepared to really hear what God has to say to us. So let's pray. As Father, we do come. And we ask that you speak to us. Whatever state that we're in, as men and women of God, uh, but as husbands and wives, as parents, as employees, uh, bosses, you have something to say to us about the Christian home, about the Christian marriage the workplace, uh, how to be blessed. So, Lord, we know this is truth given to us by the one who created us, the one who instituted the marriage and the family. So we need you, Lord, to, to speak to our hearts. May we be teachable and humble before you. I pray we be free from distractions right now, that we turn our ringers off our phones, the, the, the things that go ding and ping and all of this, because we have a few minutes in your word right now. This most important topic. So we commit this time to the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul here in Colossians chapter 3 begins to talk about the Christian home. We read in verse 18 that wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. As Paul is talking about living for the Lord in the home, in your marriage, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord, and husbands, love your wife. Don't be bitter towards them. And Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, as many of you know, that husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And as I mentioned last week, that other prison epistle of Ephesians, that it's very amazing how Ephesians chapter 5 parallels Colossians chapter 3. To the Ephesian church, Paul would write that you're to walk in love. Don't have anything to do with fornication, uncleanness. Just as we saw last time uh, as he stated that in chapter 3 of Colossians. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes as he's inspired by the Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always to God the Father. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then he writes... How it is that we're to submit to each other. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to your masters. Ephesians chapter 5, paralleling what Colossians chapter 3 has to say. If you want a healthy marriage, listen. Don't tune out. If you want a healthy marriage, a strong family, you want to have peace in your home. Where does it begin? It begins by the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. You put to death the old man. The old man, the, the old woman. You put off sin is what you're to do. You're to die to self. You be filled with the spirit. And you submit and commit yourself to God. As you put on Christ. Remember that we've been told in this chapter here. That what we're to do is in verse 5. Put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness. And then what we're to do is we are to put off all those things of worldliness and carnality. And last week, we are to put on in verses 12 through 14 Christ, kindness, humility, compassion, meekness, long suffering, and love. And husbands, listen, you're called to be the leader of the home, and it has to start there. It has to start there, or you will not be able to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And this is my own personal opinion, but I believe husbands, and that includes me, need this reminder of the command in loving your wife, in a loving relationship with your spouse. We are to put to death the sins of carnality. Uh, of uncleanness and fornication and all of that as we read we're we're to put off that is taken off a dirty set of clothes of that which is worldly and we're to put on christ those characteristics and virtues that we have already read in verses 12 through 14 that has to be applied and husbands if we are doing that then we're going to be able to have the Lord work in our lives in loving our wives as Christ loves the church. None of us do it perfectly. But cherishing her. Loving her unconditionally. Willing to serve her just as Christ came to be the servant of all. Be willing to lay down your life for her just as Christ gave himself for us. And you see, if you really want to live life in a good marriage, and a good home, the first thing you have to do is you have to die. You have to die to self, to the worldliness, to the ways of the world, die to your selfishness, die to your demands, die to you wanting to get your way all the time. Well, she's supposed to submit. We'll get to that in a little bit. But you're called to love and to cherish and to care and to provide and to protect. That's what Godly leadership is in your home. That's what it'll mean for you. The scripture says, that husbands, that you're the head of the wife, Ephesians chapter five verse 23, just as Christ is the head of the church. Aren't you thankful that Christ is the head of the church? His provision for us, His love, his kindness, His mercy and His grace, his long-suffering, his patience. We can come to him. We can call out on him. And nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And you see, man, being the head of the wife, being the head of our families, is an incredible, awesome responsibility that is given to us. And God will hold you and me accountable to that. I think that you know that being the head of the wife, being the leader in our family, does not mean that we're better than our wives. It does not mean that men are better than women, that your wife is inferior in God's eyes and you are superior. Oh, please. I don't think any of us have that mindset. I hope not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Was Jesus inferior to the Father? No. But in submission, in humility, he came to this world. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with god philippians chapter 2 declares but became obedient a bond obedient to death our wife's submission is out of simply obedience to god and humility not because you're superior to her men not by a long shot and as we put on christ as we show her the love of christ then wives, it should be a joy to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That is your responsibility. And as I've already mentioned, it's amazing how much information in books, even in the Christian circle, there is on marriage and, and raising our kids and the family. And Paul writing to this church concerning marriage, writes two sentences. It doesn't cover all of concerning marriage. Peter tells us that, men, you're to live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? The things that are important to her need to be important to you. We are told that as we do that, our prayers will be heard. In other words, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, there's a a condition there that the Lord says that your prayers will be hindered. That's how serious he takes it. Wives, you be respectful to your husbands. There is commandments and truth throughout Scripture concerning marriage and the family and communicating and the atmosphere of the home. But these two sentences are fundamental. Without this taking place and being worked out in your marriage, the other precepts and principles that we read concerning marriage is not going to happen. It is when a husband humbles himself. And listen, guys. Humbling ourselves takes real strength. I had somebody last service came to me and said, you know, I've been coming here for a little bit, and I'm beginning to realize that living after the world isn't strength, it's weakness. To humble myself and follow after Christ is what's going to make me strong in him. When a husband is loving his wife as Christ loves the church, saying, Lord, I need you, help me to do this, because none of us do it perfectly. When a wife is saying, I understand that he's the head, I will respect him, I will encourage him, it doesn't mean that you can't make decisions together. Sue and I, married 33 years, we make decisions together We pray together, we seek the Lord together, and she tells me what she's hearing from the Lord, and most, the vast majority of decisions we will make together, but there have been times where she's turned to me and said, you're the head of this house, and this is how I feel, this is what the Lord is telling me, but you've got to make the final decision. And that means I better be seeking the Lord and hearing from him. Are we going to move to Greeley and start a church even though we didn't know anything about starting a church? And she said, I'm behind you. I'll support you. This is how I feel. I don't want to live with regrets. And, but you've got to make the decision. So I made the decision that, yes, the Lord is leading us. When it came to, even before we were married, what church would we would go to. We belonged to a big church. Prominent in Colorado Springs, 5,000 members. I said, listen, we're going to go to a little church called Calvary Chapel. That's where I really believe that we're going to grow in the word of God, that God's going to use us. She didn't like it initially. So like, what's this verse by verse teaching? What's that all about? And what's this Calvary Chapel stuff? And we went and the Lord just began to grow us. But she trusted that I was hearing from the Lord and said, okay, if that's what the Lord is saying. When it came to homeschooling their kids, there have been times where she has said that you're the leader. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you. This is what the Lord is putting on my heart. Because husbands, remember this, that the Lord does speak to our wives. I'm going to pray for you. And when you have husband and a wife that are allowing the Lord to work out our roles and responsibilities It's a very wonderful thing. A godly marriage is an incredible thing. I have been blessed by the Lord. With my kids, my four adult kids, and now being a grandparent. I have been tremendously blessed by the ministry here. The privilege to pastor this church for so many years. All very important and wonderful. But my marriage to my wife has been the most wonderful blessing that I could have in my life. And it is a wonderful thing when two people married in Christ say, Lord, we hear you. Uh, I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church, not be bitter towards her. What does that mean? I think, guys, we know what that means, don't we? We can put unrealistic expectations on our wives. Well, Harry's wife makes lunch for for him at 4.30 in the morning, you know, (laughs) My wife doesn't. Or, you know, my friend, his wife, makes a good income. But mostly where we become bitter is when they bring correction to us. When they say, you're just being plain mean. Or you're being disrespectful. You're not living with me in an understanding way. You know, I've come to realize that those who can get hurt the easiest are men. And they begin to pout. And they become bitter. They start putting unrealistic expectations on a wife. You know, maybe your wife is raising the, the kids. And just like we were homeschooling four kids, they were all small. I didn't come home and it's like, why is there a banana peel on the chair and dirty socks in the corner? I couldn't do that to her. Why are there dishes in the sink? And She's been dealing with them all day long. and And expecting her to follow the kids around with a bottle of Windex? Listen, I know there's discussions that need to be, you know, taken and, and discussed and expectations and all of that. But it's at that time, husbands, when you come home and she's tired and the house is a mess and the kids are frazzled and dogs are barking and all of this, you roll up your sleeve and you serve her. Lord, work in our lives. Lord, help us to be patient with each other and to love each other. Lord, work in our marriage. And it's a great and wonderful blessing when two people who are living in the way that God wants you to, that he begins to work in a wonderful way. We're going to put on Christ. We're going to put on Christ-likeness. Looking forward to, to the days and years ahead and growing old together. They know that God wants to bless your marriage. He doesn't want you just to live life and putting up with each other. And I know that some of you, you have spouses that are not believers. You keep praying and you be a witness to them. You keep praying and be a witness. And wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord. And we're going to encourage you. He continues to write about the Christian home. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul's talking to those, if you're under the roof of your parents, teenagers, this command's for you. You obey your parents. Ephesians says that you're to honor your mother and father. It's one of the Ten Commandments, of course, at Exodus chapter 20. You don't argue with them. You don't go around telling your friends how stupid your parents are. You don't try to manipulate them. You obey them. You honor them. And parents, when the Word of God says, children, obey your parents, that means that you are leading your children. You are leading them. Your children are not leading you. And then in verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So interesting, isn't it? Paul's addressing the fathers. He doesn't address the mothers specifically in this verse. Why? It's not because they don't play a role in raising their children of course they do that's why paul said children obey your parents so you know kids under the roof of the home they don't have to think i don't have to obey mom you know i can just blow her off no you obey mom and dad paul i believe is addressing the fathers here specifically because you dads are the head of the house which means you take the lead in raising and disciplining your children And listen, fathers, listen, please. Do not make excuses and say, well, I can't take the lead in raising my children. I'm too busy trying to make a living. I got responsibility. I got burdens. You're going to do it, wife. I understand that you guys work very hard, some of you. You're providing for your family. You work hard, you come home, and you're tired. I understand that. But that's not an excuse to be passive in the role and responsibility that is given to you. Or to excuse it. The greatest responsibility that you have. Is raising your children in the ways of the Lord. We're going to come alongside. And we're going to encourage you and help you. And moms you're going to be a part of that. But fathers. Ephesians 6. You bring them up in the ways of the Lord. You make sure that your home. The atmosphere of your home. Is where the Lord is honored. And the things of the Lord are being spoken of. And where there's thanksgiving. And I don't say this condemningly. I say this. Because there's, I have concern. I've, I deal with a lot of families. I personally believe one of the greatest needs in our culture and even in the church is that men take on the responsibilities and the roles that have been given to them by God, ordained by God, and not to back away from it, and not to be influenced by culture that's coming along and, and polluting what God's Word says about your role as a man. Your responsibility as a husband and being the lead in your home in loving and cherishing and serving and laying down your life. Don't let the world come along and tell you to be passive about it or make excuses about it. And that's what we're seeing a lot. Even in the church today, you have a privilege that God has given to you to lead your home, to lead your wife. And I remember that, I try to remember that, that the role and responsibility has been given to me. It's a privilege. It's a privilege given to us by God. That as I get to pastor this church, there's a role and responsibility that I have. I never want to take that lightly when I get behind the pulpit. That what a privilege every single week that I get to teach. That I get to minister. And again, none of us do this perfectly. But we are to ask God for help every single day. And being the spiritual leaders in the home. Fathers, and raising your children, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What is meant by that? What is meant by that is, parents, you know what it means to discourage your kids. Kids can be crushed under the weight of cruel words. They can be so quick to criticize and put down and focus on their Failings is what we can do, put maybe heavy expectations on them. Hey, I want my son to be the running back that I was in high school or my daughter to be at the top of her class. And and if they don't meet our expectations, then we put them down, we focus on the negative. We just keep hammering them about that. And yes, we do want to encourage if they're playing ball or learning an instrument or whatever interest they have. Yes, we want them to do the very best they can in school because as parents, we know that oftentimes our kids need to learn discipline and hard work. That over time, they can become a bit lazy. I know I was when I was a kid about homework and applying themselves. But we don't tear them down. You pray for them. You ask the Lord, Lord, help me to mold them, but as you've heard me say, to also unfold them. What is it meant by that? Lord, how did you make this child? How did you design him or her? What gifts or talents did you give them? You know, help me to get behind how you built him or her. And ultimately, the the goal is, the, the priority is, we want our kids growing up and loving Jesus. But how can I encourage them? But if we try to make our kids do something that they're just not designed to do, I remember it was years ago, um, that there was a father that was here and and his son, and he wanted his son to be like the best football player, and he's got to be the best, and he's going to do football all year. And finally, his son, they were talking to me, and the son said, I don't want to play football. I hate football. I broke my collarbone. It hurt. I don't want to do this. I have other interests. And the ramifications of that is the father was just putting these heavy expectations. you will play football was was unfortunate. And there are times where we want our kids to continue to learn responsibilities to move forward, but not to put these heavy expectations and we're negative and and, and they can't meet my expectations and they get discouraged and I They feel they can't get the approval of mom and dad and they end up becoming bitter. The other end of the spectrum is when we give them no encouragement. So mom and dads, pray, 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 amen. How is it that I can encourage my child, direct them to use those gifts that have been given to them for your glory, that they may blossom and bear fruit and help me, Lord, not to try to force them to be something different than what you've made them to be. And then in verse 22, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So employees, uh, obey your boss. Well, I don't agree with the policy. Well, unless it's immoral or illegal or is going to bring harm to you, obey your boss, your employer, not with eye service. You don't go around telling everybody, this is how I would do it if I were the boss or if I was in charge, if I was running this place. But you obey and honor the position that they have in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And I know that some of you, you work for some pretty tough bosses. I know that some of you, you work for some very immoral bosses. And when at the job, they tell you to do something, It's not illegal, not immoral. It's not going to bring harm to you. You work as hard as you can at the job because it honors the Lord. Think of Daniel. Daniel in the Old Testament, working for Nebuchadnezzar. You don't think he had a tough boss? You upset Nebuchadnezzar, he'll chop you up into little pieces. He'll throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. And you don't just work hard when the boss is around. You don't get caught up in the gossip and the grumping and the slander. But you say... Today, Lord, I'm going to obey my boss. Even if I would do it differently, I'm going to work hard. I realize this is where you have me right now. If you move me on, Lord, to something different, you can do that. But today I have today. So I want to to live today to honor you and whatever you do, verse 23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Whatever you do in life, you do it heartily as unto God, for you, you serve the Lord Jesus, you serve him. Wherever you have me, Lord, whatever I'm doing, I want to do it unto you to please you because ultimately, you're my boss. You're the creator. You're almighty God. And Lord, I want to be the spouse and I want to be the parent that you desire for me to be, the hard worker or business man or woman that whatever I do, I do it hardly as to the Lord. And I want to say this to particularly maybe you, young people, but not all, it's for all of us. Learn how to work. Learn to be respectful. Learn the value of hard work. Parents teach it to your kids. There are those that they don't wanna learn hard work and the Bible has a lot to say that work is good and doesn't have anything good to say about laziness. And the man, the woman that God uses is the one who knows how to work, to be responsible, to be respectful, to lead and provide for their family, for all of us, to to be ones that we are, are desiring to live the way that God wants us to live. And you're going to see that God's going to bless that. Have you ever noticed that the Lord uses the one who works? When you look at Scripture... You who are being herding sheep on the backside of the desert, I'm going to use you, Moses, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And you who are plowing behind the oxen, the mantle is going to fall upon you for the prophetic office, Elisha. And you who are a farmer, I have a message for you to give to a nation. And you that are casting nets, Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you at the tax collecting table, Matthew, you come and follow me. And you who are a tent maker that's chained to a Roman guard and putting pen to parchment, writing this epistle, I'm going to use you to turn the world upside down. And I hear people say, you know, I want to be used. I I want to be blessed. I want to be promoted. And I even want to minister. But they're being lazy. And they're sitting around. And you go to work. And you work hard. And whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord and you learn responsibility and you learn to respect others and you be faithful and have a godly attitude and you bless others with the sweat of your brow and then you're going to see that the Lord's going to tap you on the shoulder and give you more significant tasks to do. But if you're just sitting around grumping and complaining, sitting around doing nothing, you're probably going to be sitting for a while. And verse 25, if you do poorly, that is, you're being lazy, wrong attitudes. Don't expect leniency, favors. Probably you'll get fired from your job, even as a Christian. But what we're being told listen, you do everything as unto the Lord, and you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, that final payday. And he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. In other words, you reap what you sow. No one's exempt from that spiritual principle. Please the Lord with your life as you submit to him in every way and everything in every area of your life. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, because it goes with what we've been talking about. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you're a Christian that has a business or you are an employer, you have people that's working for you then your responsibility is to treat your workers and employees fairly and justly, knowing that you have a master that is in heaven. And the clear implication here is that you will stand before God someday. Every master, every employee, every husband, every wife, every parent, every Christian will stand at the beam and reward seat of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make this clear. He's not talking about you'll lose your salvation. He said, you'll receive a reward. It's like wood, hay, and stubble. The things that are unlike Christ are going to burn up. So you're not going to lose your salvation if you're lazy or at work or you're not the best boss. But there are rewards that the Lord desires for us to give in every area of our lives. Isn't that something? To be a good worker, to be a good parent, there's rewards for that. So employers, you're to treat your workers fairly. You are to pay them fairly. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. God has much to say about how you're to run your business, how we are to treat our employees. If you have people working for you, whether you have a large business and many people working for you, or perhaps a neighbor kid comes over and mows your lawn. And you're thinking, well, he's just a kid. I can cheat him. Pay him a dollar next month or something. No, the scripture says a man's worthy of his wages. Deal with people that are working with you and for you fairly and justly. And that is the way your heavenly father, the ultimate master, deals with us. Not just fairly, but graciously. Honor the Lord where he has you, what state you're in, in every area of your life. But you got to put on Christ. And you got to put on those virtues that we talked about earlier in the chapter. And you're going to see God working and blessing. Even in those times of frustration, in those times of wondering, God is going to honor you as you live for him. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you. We thank you so much. There's so much more to say here in these verses. But we need you, Lord, to work these things out in our lives. And to be the husbands and wives that you called us to be. To be the fathers, the mothers. To be the the workers. Lord, to honor you. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. And to know you see. So Lord, I do pray for all of us as men, as husbands. Help us be the men of God you called us to be. To be husbands. To lead our families not in being overbearing, dictatorial, ruling with a heavy hand, but cherishing and loving. May our homes be filled with your words and hymns and songs and spiritual songs and thanksgiving, your word being proclaimed to get all the worldliness out, to protect our homes. To be men that, like Joshua, that says, for for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and not be ashamed of it. Like Nehemiah, who encouraged the workers, the men on the wall, said, fight for your wives and fight for your spouse. Fight for your brethren, for God is great and awesome. To fight the good fight of the Spirit and not to give in to what culture comes along and pollutes the definition of marriage in the family and our roles as husbands and wives and men and women of God. But to know this that you desire to bless our homes. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. Help us not to be bitter. Help us, Lord, in all these areas. We need you every single day. Lord, for wives and women that are here, to encourage their husbands, to respect them, to pray for them, to be submitted to them as unto the Lord. I pray for the marriages here that you just bring blessing. And even those right now, married couples that maybe there's a strain right now in your marriage, that you would humble yourselves even right now together and say, Lord, we know you want to bring healing, you want to bring forgiveness, you want to bring clarity and understanding. Lord, do that work because you're the one that will do it truly. And to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and to his word, to put on Christ to be long-suffering and patient and kind and gentle and to seek the Lord together. Help us to be good workers and, and, Lord, treat people fairly and with respect. And, Lord, I also, I just want to pray for anyone who's here or watching that you've never made a commitment to Christ. These things can't be worked in you by the Lord unless you first come to him and you're born again by the Spirit of God you come to Him for salvation and forgiveness because Jesus went to the cross to die for you. He came to give you hope and eternal life and right relationship with the Father. For you to humble yourself if you've never come to Christ and called out on the name of Jesus to be forgiven. Will you do that today? Because He loves you and He is your salvation. There's none other. I pray right where you are, Jesus, I come and I ask you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Thank you. And you love me. And you made atonement for my sin. And you are buried in your life. speaking to my heart. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me. Sit upon the throne of my heart. Help me to learn of you and grow in your word. I thank you for this new beginning. And I come to you for eternal life. To bring me into the family of God and right relationship with the Father. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name.